As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. What's up, Internet, and welcome back to the Gadget Podcast. I'm senior editor Devendra Hardwar. Joining me today is our podcast producer, Ben Elman. Hey, Ben. Hey, Devendra. Let's talk about CES. Let's talk about CES. So uh, basically half of Engadget is off there and everybody else is on news. So it's going to just be Ben and me. Uh, but we have some special reporting from Sherlin on the ground. We have some other stories from CES and a handful of things, including some very sad layoffs uh, across the tech industry that we'll be diving into. As always, folks, if you're enjoying the show, please subscribe to us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Leave us a review on iTunes and drop us an email at podcastandgadget.com. I specifically want to know what you all think of CES and what you're excited for. So let us know. So let's kick things off with a conversation with Sherlyn. Um, she was really busy this week, but I was able to carve out some time with her as she was running between events. I believe she was at the Venetian Hotel, so she was just huddled in a quarter uh, recording audio on her phone. So that's fun. We dive into some of the things that she saw, the things she's most excited about, and just her overall vibes on the show. So here's Sherlyn. Hello, Sherlyn on the CES show floor. How are you doing? Uh, it is pure chaos. I am currently, like I told you, sat outside a meeting room at the Venetian in some corridor on the carpet. There's people mm-hmm. walking by, talking. So if you hear background noise, obviously, you know, dear listeners, put up with it. Sorry. <laughs> That's really, you know what, that, I think feel like that is the thing I remember most about CES is just like camping at like random hotel hallways yeah. and couches. Occasionally they have set up and you can take a break from the madness. So, well, thank you what for taking time a to break? chat, you know, you know, what is even a break? <laughs> the break this is, is my figuring break. out uh, where are the good bathrooms. And I have learned uh, that the hotels have the best bathrooms for sure. They do. They The, the hotels have, but I am currently at the Venetian, so the Sands Expo, and I am stuck with the crap uh, expo bathrooms. Uh, however, I go to the ballroom area where, you know, uh-huh. it's a little bit nicer. Yeah, it's not so bad. And also, I'm a woman. The bathrooms here are all pretty okay for us. <laughs> I, I always hear the worst. Okay, but uh, anyway... I want to hear, Sherlyn, like, how has the CES been for you? You guys have been there since Saturday. We are recording this on Wednesday. So that is a big chunk of time. The big uh, press conference days are done. Now yeah. you're wandering the show floor and the the, the Eureka Park Expo and stuff yeah. like that. How, how is the show for you so far? Uh, as, a, as a not quite exclusive for our podcast listeners, I have written a poem that sums up my feelings, actually. <laughs> and I will narrate <laughs> it for you right now. Hang on one second. My poem which I have shared with our team, by the way, which we will be putting in all our videos moving forward. Are you ready for this beautiful uh, Pulitzer Prize winning work? I'm sitting and prepared. Okay, it goes. Every day over here has felt like a year. The end seems so far, but it's also so near. Constant work to do, but missing out to fear. Gadgets and gambles abound and nothing to cheer. (laughs) Okay. That's it. That was it. I feel like you were in a, you were probably in a sad place as that started coming to you. My tight verse, my tight little verse. No, um, it it stretches forever, right? Each day is packed and and the vibe uh, people have been asking, like, what's it like on the ground? I think it feels the same like every CES. Um, There's a lot of people here. If you're asking about, you know, where the people are wearing masks, not really everyone. I'd almost say like somewhere in the 30% range of mask wearing is what I would say. That's better than I've seen elsewhere. So that's good. Yeah. yeah, but it's just it was really packed. Um, 
you know, I, I've sent some videos to you, Devendra, to look at. It's it's just a sea of people, you know, flooding the show floors. At the same time, though, if we're talking about the news out of the show, I I don't know if I'm surprised. There's some like good things. I wasn't expecting, for example, uh, for Samsung to bring a sale-ready version of the Bali robot to the show, you know? Sony, I mean, obviously had a car, but did you see that they announced that new spatial content creation headset? I, I saw the headset, and I'm. that seems like a very Sony move of like not really doing anything there, but they have a product, mm, you know? Yeah, Nothing's different yeah. there, really. I mean, they also drove the car on stage with a PlayStation controller, which is quite funny. <laughs> It is funny, although I hear the the hubbub is that uh, I know people were like looking at the controller, right? Like, was were they actually using right. the controller to control the the car? And it would be far easier not to do that, right? To pretend that the controller true. Did that. So that would be embarrassing we'll too if they found out. Yeah, it's oh, funny. Definitely. Yeah, the um, other thing that has been like big news here at the show so far has been um, the transparent TVs. So whether it's transparent micro LED, transparent OLED, um, it's been, I don't know if I saw it coming. I don't know if you did, Dev. I did not. We've, I mean, we've been seeing them for the past few years. So it's not mm-hmm. like, it's not like out of nowhere. But right. yeah, it is funny to see a bunch of different companies have their own take on transparent TVs and what they're really going to be used for. And, you know, to, to be clear, that's not something for your living room, right? It's not for your home. It's more like really cool signage for stores yeah. or really cool ways to like accent your products in a high-end store. Uh, I, I've been putting our recaps together so I've been like really paying closer attention to our coverage and Billy and Sam went to the Samsung um, event. Billy also went to the um, LG event. I'm talking about our um, senior reporters, Billy Steele and Sam Rutherford. Um, and Billy describes uh, the LG uh, transparent TV experience as kind of unsettling, if only because it feels like the person's sort of in the room there with them, right? Like the, the, the singer on the screen, on the transparent screen, is kind of like floating about like a hologram. So it's, it's definitely not something I think people have thought about putting in their own homes and intimate spaces, but it is maybe they're thinking of doing something like that. You know what I mean? Like I don't think it's beyond the reach of our imagination that one day, that's what LG or Samsung like do. I mean, um, yeah. we have been sort of joking that holograms is kind of where things are kind of headed, especially with like the Vision Pro and everything. I do think I can imagine, you know, having if your desk, if you had like a nice transparent piece of glass and occasionally it may have some windows on it and maybe you don't need a background. You know, maybe they're just floating on that glass and you could do yeah. some work and not like block out the if there's a window behind it, you know, not block oh, that's... out the nice sunlight in your room or something. That's that's cool. That could be cool. I'd it say. could. And and from what Billy said, the like image quality on both uh, the Samsung and LG versions were bright and sharp. So that was nice. Um, you might be able to like have light filter through and still be able to see what's on the screen. Um, to me, those were some of the big things. I think, though, um, there's a lot of little things on the show floor that are strange and whimsical that we always love more than anything else. Um, there was a lot of massage chairs, Devendra. A lot of massage chairs. A lot of vibrating chairs. I sat in the Razor Project Esther. Um, I tagged along. Sam was like, "Oh, do you want to come to the uh, this Razor meeting with me?" Um, and I <laughs> That's was like, the "Vibrating All right, sure. cushion, specifically." Yeah, 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 yeah. To be to be clear, it's a vibrating cushion. It's a proof of concept device for their um, Sensa HD uh, new like HD haptics uh, platform that they're launching. And it's very razor, right, to do something like this. But I got to say, 
I just I don't overthink my haptics. I'm just like, oh yeah, it vibrates, it vibrates, it vibrates, soft, strong, whatever, right? But this is like it's dimensional, and I I had someone ask me why HD, right? Like high definition, is it more defined? I feel like you know what? I don't want to buy into the marketing, but it is a little bit like that. It felt like there was more definition to that vibrating. You know, it's <laughs> something. <laughs> so I was something showing... is different and happening there. That's. I mean, some theaters yeah. have that, right? If you go to Dolby Atmos yeah, it's Theater, a 4D. there's like a yeah. There's a bit of a subwoofer underneath some cha- your chairs, and your chair will like move when the sound. Yes. Moves, so. Yeah, it's exactly it's yeah. exactly kind of um like an immersive surround experience. It's teamed up with Dolby on some of the experiences as well. Um, so you had like. I was able to feel like vibration going from left to right behind me, but I could also feel like vibration creeping up on me from a distance and going further away. Like you can kind of tell in the same, like I, I described it as sort of like Dolby Atmos around four vibrations. You could feel like, you know, complete all around you vibration. But also I was playing this game, Mech Warrior. I don't know, Mech War. Was that a thing? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, one of the Probably demos Mech they Warrior, did. Yeah. Yeah, the, one of the demos they did was like, you know, when the, a developer of a game is using a Sensor HD platform and has, you know, catered it to the vibration patterns, you can get different things like, like when I fired a laser beam, the vibration under my butt, by the way, um, was a bit more sustained and a little grittier. Whereas like the, the laser, uh, the, sorry, the individual pellets or bullets that shot out, they were more like to the point, they were sharper, they were bouncier, you know what I mean? So, you can use it, and, but whether you need it, obviously, is a is a question. I, I do wonder, but, like, what, what the point is. I remember seeing that story and wondering, like, I don't, does anybody really need a haptic chair? Like, I don't know if it's going to mean anything. But if you're playing, like, a horror game, you know, yeah, there's something yeah. creeping towards you. And then you, and boom, then you right. can feel the zombie getting towards you or something. That could be. Right. That could be something. That could be cool. Or it could be like a, a hint at the bottom right of your butt that there's something in the corner, you know, like a, a little bzz, bzz, uh, at the bottom right. And then just have to wonder what happens when you fart into this chair as it's vibrating. It's going to be the grossest thing to send back for return to repairs. Or oh, whatever. God. It's, it's not going to be fun. Yeah. Uh, I'm wondering, you know. Sherlyn, like mm-hmm. within your purview of like mobile stuff, was there anything yeah. that was really interesting to you? Yeah. Yeah. So our friend, friend of the Engadget podcast, Mr. Michael Fisher, Mr. Mobile himself, he uh, brought to CES a product called Clicks along with some uh, partners. I don't know if yeah, you've heard about Yeah, this is, uh, by the way, uh, kind of a conflict of interest because I know you're friends with Mr. Michael Fisher and he's yeah, been a guest this... on the show. So, you know. Yeah, exactly. All with a Disclaimer yeah. that Michael Fisher is a friend of mine, a personal friend of mine, and also a friend of the Engadget podcast, has been a guest here anyway, and listens, right, to the podcast a lot. Um, Clicks is basically a sort of keyboard case for the iPhone, um, and it brings back a, a physical keyboard to the device. It's, it's kind of Blackberry-esque, and one of the, you know, partners, I think, uh, for Michael Fisher in this is uh, Kevin from Crackberry, so it's got like a Blackberry signature to it. Um, yeah, Crackberry I, Kevin, like he he was back there, exactly. like he started Crackberry, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so these are all our, you know, favorite like smartphone nerds and like keyboard aficionados. And I can see why this was the product that they would have brought, right? Uh, they they built I something think... just for them. Like, yeah. What do you, what do you think just, about it? 
I don't, I'm not sure they built it for them or if they repurposed something that was already made. Um, and this is something that I know, Fisher, you're probably listening to this podcast and you're, you know, you will probably give me the answer in person, but I wonder if it's something that FX Tech made before. Um, and then, you know, we just painted it yellow or if there was a lot more to it. And, and to be clear, I haven't paid a lot of attention to the, you know, details and the specs and the press release. So it's me not knowing Sam Rutherford was the one that took the hands on for us. So you should be able to get all of these details in in our Engadget.com article. Um, but yeah, I just feel like maybe we're past the point of needing physical buttons on our phones. Mm-hmm. Yep, uh, at least absolutely. physical typing mechanism buttons, not not like physical volume or physical power I'm kind of right there with you. I feel like a whole generation of uh, kids are also using smartphones now, right? And they, yeah. they have no recollection of have, ever having physical keyboards. And right. why should they, you know? Exactly. If If it works for them, you know... It will work. Um, and and Fisher, you're old, <laughs> as am I. I understand. We're all we're the all desire. old enough to remember <laughs> physical keyboards on phones. Yeah. Uh, and look, these things are selling for not no money. Right? They're not like fifty dollars a pop. They're like more than a hundred dollars. So and it's so I, to be clear, it is a case that you put your iPhone mm-hmm, into. Mm-hmm, um, yeah. Does it have battery or anything to help, like give you more life or anything? I don't know. <laughs> that would actually be kind of, that would be something because I don't know why, uh, like the iPhone 15, like the Pro and the Plus are so big already. And now you're going to add this thing, which is just adding like a uh, bottom side weight. So it's also going to yeah. like, mess with the weight balance. Too. It does make the thing very long. I I feel like there's a lot of questions, right? And and Sam, who, by the way, has been so busy at this show, um, and Sam saw it and he himself was pretty skeptical b- before he went into our meeting. So uh, I wasn't able to take the meeting with him because I had to do like Samsung's press conference at the same time. So um, it just it, it it begs a lot of questions. Let's just put it that way. It is kind of I mean, if you don't have your keyboard on the screen uh, and these buttons look really cool, by the way, they're round and Sam says they're pretty clicky. Um, that gives you more screen space to do other stuff. So that is True. that could be something if you're like multitasking and doing stuff. Uh, certainly since like upgrading to a 15 pro max Rillin, like I, I am often like doing social media stuff with like a video up top, you know, and occasionally yeah. hopping into Slack, like you True. can do a lot more with your phone these days. So right. maybe something like that could be good. Yeah. So in the mobile space, I mean, there's been a lot more, um, there's, there's been other devices, obviously. I mean, um, RG, uh, Aces ROG had a phone, um, that they showed off. Uh, there is a interesting thing called the rabbit, which I am currently trying to nail down and go see, but I'm sure you've heard of it. It is a very similar to the humane AI pin in concept. Um, but I haven't had a chance to play with it and, and I am actively hunting it down as we speak. So we'll see. But, um, if, if you those remember last episode, Trillin, I was talking about something that was being teased on, uh, on Twitter and X and yeah. that was it. That was the, the oh, thing that they were kind of yeah. like, they were looking at a little square or something. Um, these are, let's, let's, these. Mm-hmm. This is from the teenage engineering team, so it makes well, they, sense. Well, so they it's not it. that t- they worked on the design, from what I've read in our coverage. I like, see. Teenage yeah, engineering yeah. helped with the design. They but were involved. This is with from it, a yeah. fully separate company. Yeah. And the teenage engineering were they involved in the playdate too? Weren't they? Yeah, yeah, they were involved yeah. in the playdate. And honestly, this looks like, this looks like exactly, the playdate. exactly. Yeah. I get playdate vibes, so we'll see. Um, and yeah, I'm currently trying to hunt it down, and we will put uh, obviously our impressions on our site. Let's once add we some have uh, that. some context on that too, because that thing it's sort of like the humane AI pin, but from everything I've read, it also sounds like they're not trying to replace your smartphone right, the way that right. humane is. Like it's supposed to be like a little 
AI um, personal assistant. assistant. So you can yeah. like, it's like a walkie-talkie. Hit a button and like it can do things for you. Yeah, like call an Uber or book a you know restaurant reservation or something. Yeah. I gotta tell you that okay. the name's uh, funny. <laughs> it's uh, the name is funny, Rabbit, uh, because there's another tech device called Rabbit that yep. you know has other connotations. Okay, um, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and also, this thing requires a cell phone subscription if you're going to yeah. use it outside of Wi-Fi. So that uh, also seems like a problem. Yeah, there's a lot of questions for sure, um, and I will be tracking that down. But let's talk about what I have seen and what I consider to be my actual be here at the show um, for. The Engadget's um, Best of CES Awards, I will be overseeing the categories of um, digital health and fitness as well as accessibility. Um, and I've been, you know, focusing my attention on these areas. Uh, I am very heartened by the assistive technologies I've been seeing here at the show. It's been really cool. Um, I've already produced a, a written up uh, OrCam here, which is uh, OrCam is a company that's you know makes assistive technology, and we gave the award for best accessibility award to them last year. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Well, this year they're back with um, the Here, which is a product for people with hearing loss, and it basically is uh, let, lets you focus on the voice of one person uh, or two or whoever, right? Specific individuals around you in a noisy environment. So if you're at a bar or you're at a noisy show floor and you're trying to like, you know, focus on what one person across from you is speaking, you can use the, um, OrCam Hears earbuds and dongle and app. So it's a, a complete package. Um, and you can basically, uh, select which individual you want to focus on and the earbuds will isolate their voice for you. And it, I tried it out with Terrence, our managing editor, and it worked in in a way that was like I wasn't even expecting. I was expecting That's it cool. to be really janky. Yeah. Um, you can read my hands-on article on it for all the details. But basically, it was like, you know, it had two set profiles already. It takes a few se- seconds of someone's voice to sample it and create that voice profile before it can start, you know, isolating their voice for you and filtering everyone else's voices out. Um, so when I got to the demo, the two people from the company were already in the app. But Terrence took the briefing, the demo with me, right? He was next to me taking pictures. And... So obviously the two people that were from the company, I expected it to work well on them. But like, even as they were showing me how well it worked on both of them, I could lo- listen to one person uh, and only hear one person's voice while both of them, their mouths were moving, right? Um, a few seconds later, this new circle popped up on the app and I was like, I looked at Terrence next to me. I couldn't hear what he was saying, right? Uh, and Terrence was wearing a mask, so whatever. But then after they dragged that new circle into the ring in the interface of the app for me to like whitelist him, I guess immediately I could hear him it was so strange because he was speaking through a mask (laughs) I was like in normal circumstances I wouldn't be able to hear you anyway um so this is just like it was quite surprising to see it like the piece of technology work so well um OrCam here is not ready uh for any sort of public launch just yet it was kind of just showing people what it was able to do here at CES 2024 Um, didn't we hear something similar from Apple right with with AirPods uh, Pro that they could do some good voice isolation too right yeah, I'm just not sure it's for multiple speakers at once. Yeah, and it's not the it's same also, as this, yeah. yeah, Yeah, it's different. It's, this one seems a lot more sophisticated, and I obviously have to look deeper into what Apple does to know the specific yeah, 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 differences. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's also, other stuff. You, you yeah. read up this thing called the Skyded Mask, which just uh, <laughs> shushes you. Which is yeah, kind of funny because I want to. There are many times where I was like, sure, Lynn, please shush. Please, please. Quiet. Oh, quiet. yeah. Inside no, voice. I love it. I mean, this is will take your outside voice to inside voice levels, basically. You know, 
It is for situations when you're like, if you're like me, you're always gossiping, you're always talking about embargoed stuff in public. Um, and this mask, if you put it on, it will reduce what you're saying or your voice by 25 decibels. So the target use case isn't, say, like, you know, reporters who have signed NDAs mm-hmm. talking about confidential mm-hmm. information in public. It's more, sometimes people travel on trains or planes. And in, in parts of Europe, apparently, you're not allowed to speak on trains, not to be on the phone, right? And, and many places too, and rightly so, because it is disruptive. But with the mask, it will reduce your voice to a point where like a person standing next to you won't be able to hear you. Um, or if they do hear you, all they hear is a little bit of a like mumble. It's not clear what you will be saying. And that's, and then the people that you want to hear you will be able to through the microphone in the mask. Um, it connects to your phone or your whatever device you're using through either a wired connection or if you pay more, you use a Bluetooth connection. Um, and it's got input and output so you can hear yourself as well. Um, it's pretty cool actually. It, it actually worked. looks like a, a mask with a filter, too. Like, it can actually help with yeah. air, too, right? Well, so I don't know about air. I don't know that there... The, so, what you're seeing there is not a filter. It's actually the holes um, for the resonation system. And this basically what's reducing the sound was sucking your sound away from I the mask like that's, area. I feel like that's just a given. Like, if you're making this thing, at least uh, filter air. Right. Us, you would right? think. Yeah. yeah. The problem is I, I uh, only used a prototype that uh, wasn't, you know, final. And so, I didn't have the head strap. And I couldn't tell you what the fit is. Right. So the whole time I was actually holding it up to my face and pressing it to my face. It's a, it's um, a cool idea. That is like the weird yeah. thing we go to CS for is just like, I don't know yeah. if this product will ever exist, and, but uh, it yeah. is kind of And the zillion and one massage chairs that were here. Yeah, more massage chairs. I mean, you also um, saw um, or you wrote up the Samsung Bali too, which we yes. love. The Bali robot has got some upgrades this year, right? Yeah. So um, former Engadget coworker. Chris Velasco, who is now at the Washington Post, broke the story about the Samsung Bali. And uh, we're getting a lot of our details from the Washington Post article, which is why I bring it up. Um, Samsung did show off the Bali robot. Um, and the, in an interview with the Post, Samsung said, uh, this is actually going to be ready for sale this year. Now, they did not disclose a price. This is a bowling ball-sized robot. It's a yellow bowling ball with a projector built in. And uh, I think the way that Samsung introduced it at his press conference was very interesting. It was very cute, really. It just showed this bowling ball robot rolling around in your home and entertaining your golden retriever. Um, it can not only, you know, show you... Uh, well, you can tell it to turn your lights off or close your curtains and all that easy stuff. You can Because it's like smart home it. equipped with Samsung's exactly. like whole thing, yeah. Smart things, yeah. Um, and you can send it text messages when you're away from your home. So you're like, you can be like, oh, turn off the light and send, by sending a text to the Bali. Uh, it has a camera so it can send you a video clip of your whatever is at your home. So maybe your pet's moaning at home. It can send a video of that. It can also project your um, computer screen or your, you know, whatever video streaming you're using and it projects oh, on cool. any surface, right? It'll project yeah. on a uh, blank wall. So if you're doing like a, a video call, like chat uh, teams or whatever, you can do that. But what I saw on the video, which was very cool is if like you're doing a yoga workout and um, you know, sometimes you're lying on your back for yoga, right? It's hard to follow along when you're lying on your back, but with, you know, a projector like Bali, because it can spin, it can actually project onto the ceiling and you can look, just on the ceiling. Isn't that cool? I mean, you could that's put a projector a, that, and that tilt it off. That would be a but... short ceiling, though, because that is not a very yeah, bright yeah, yeah, projector. Yeah, it's a short to, throw. <laughs> to kind of get up yeah. there. Um, Wait, that, yeah, that it's is a, a cool hazy. thing. Because yeah. yeah. uh, I, I don't know if, how many projectors you guys have seen at the show, but we were definitely we seeing seen a people few. like 
Anchor and others are doing a lot of portable projectors and there's a lot mm-hmm. more things you can do with this technology. So listen, my kids always want to watch like YouTube videos, right? Or TikTok or something. So to be like you're in the playroom, just like put put a, put on Blippi or something on the floor. Let the kids yeah. enjoy it. Like that's something. That's cool. I think it's a cool thing that even I would like to have at home, but it would really <laughs> okay. depend on the price, right? You just really want to watch stuff projected on your ceiling. And let me tell you, they're I want to lie cheaper. down on my yoga mat and watch yeah. TV. That's it. <laughs> You've got cheaper options. Like Anchor has their like soda can sized ones that I think I want to test out soon because they seem kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there were a lot of other projectors too uh, at CES this year. Um, there was the uh, Premiere projectors from LG. Um, and then we saw a lot of turntables. We saw a lot of smart home stuff. We saw um, kitchen tech. Um, I'm trying to think of all the like the weirdest things we saw. I mean, did yeah. you see? What, uh, I mean, Sam's... were you there when Dan was testing the, the, motor uh, the bo- moonwalkers? Boots, motorized. Yes, we we were we passed each other a few times as I was running to talk about uh, some other device, and he was walking around and he looked so miserable. It was funny. So uh, our colleague Dan <laughs> Cooper, um, who we you know he is a wonderfully funny British man, but also. Um, he, he's also, he does comedy stuff too. So the video mm. he did for the moonwalkers feels like one of Richard Ayoade's gadget man fits <laughs> where it's like, the, these are things you strap onto your shoes, which can like, they, they have wheels and they help you like glide around the floor. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, right. he glided, he glided. Is that the past tense? Glided past me. He glowed. Past me. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was not gliding. I would just tell you that it was not gliding. It was pretty. Um, the gate was a little more, uh, not less moonwalker and more uh, cane walker. You know. So. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I feel like he was getting the hold of it. It's the awful CS carpets too, so you can't yes. really move too. Gosh, we've on been those. getting. St- Staticated everywhere. It was a static shocks everywhere. Um, also, uh, Sam saw the ThinkBook Plus Gen 5, which uh-huh. uh, is like an Android tablet, a 14-inch Android tablet with a Windows laptop uh, keyboard. <laughs> cool. I don't know why we need I, that. What? Okay. Yeah, I know. Um, and speaking of strange Android tablets, uh, TCL has a new version of his next paper e-ink-ish tablet, but this one... Um, at the push of a button, you can change it from full LCD, full color LCD to basically an e-paper like oh, cool. uh, reflective. Yeah, it I is really like interesting. That. Give, me, right? give me an iPad that can become an e-reader. Yes. It is really cool. I just don't know. We have to ask Matt to tell us like how it really behaves. He's, he said it was pretty cool. Um, it's not like real e-paper though. So don't like expect yeah. true e-ink I, experience. I can yeah, but mm-hmm. that was one of the weird things we saw as well. I feel like this has been a great year uh, for for seeing strange things and assistive technology. I mean, I'm currently going after this uh, recording. I will be going to see more here. I'm here at the expo area, which is where all the startup things are, and oh, you're at just... Eureka Park, which was always my favorite park. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. so I went to see Gyro Glove, um, which is a hand stabilizing glove for people with hand tremors and come to find out when I get to the expo because I was like running around with our video producer we're like 61613 where is this booth yeah. and I'm like I, I come to like 61620 or something right and like it's dominated by this like Singapore pavilion I'm like oh all the Singapore companies are here yes. great but where is this one I'm looking for gyro glove is made by a Singapore company I swear to god I was like this was I was meant to find this. It so was anyway, for you, yeah, 
Yeah, I talked to the the uh, founder, and they had a person there who has been wearing the glove for a few days, and she has uh, Parkinson's and has been living with Parkinson's for six years at least. Uh, and she was, you know, explaining to me how it has changed her life or you know improved her life in many little ways. It was really cool to see. Uh, I'm obviously going to have to go and write the article after I record this. So stay tuned to Engage.com for that and the video, by the way. Um, but yeah, now I'll be sticking around here at Eureka Park where all the startups are. I've already like just caught glimpses of things that I love. Like there's this like Samsung C-Labs company that's made this garment that will puff up with air to like stimulate hugging you. Okay, okay. <laughs> Because we're all so sad. We all, I mean, there there have been so many gadgets that just want to give you a hug. So I feel yeah. like that has always been a theme in CS. Well, you know what, Sherlyn, I'm not going to take up too much more of your time. Uh, yeah. Any, you know, we have not done our discussions about the best of CS yet. Gosh. Uh, that'll be later yeah. tonight. So, you know, um, but how are you feeling about the show overall? Like, to me, it seems like it's back in full swing. Like there's so many people there. There's a lot of energy from what I can tell. I'm like, I know the weather's not great and I'm sorry for you guys, but I also it's chilly. wish I was there hanging out. And just I know. All this cool stuff. Yeah. I mean, if you listen to my poem, I wrote that at the end of the night. I think every, during the day I have so much energy. I'm running around mm-hmm, so excited mm-hmm. to see everyone and everything. And then every night I'm like exhausted and dry and, and a husk of a person, but That's you're CS, right. The baby. energy is here. Yeah. So I think it's a balance and I think it's life. Um, and it's a microcosm of life. I just think uh, I've been hearing about a lot of people randomly getting COVID. So there's that. Oh, boy. Yeah. And there's a lot of random drama going on in various publications. So stay tuned for that. The tea. The tea. <laughs> stay tuned for all of that. Well, okay, Sherlyn. Stay safe out there. And Thank yeah, you. good luck finding new cool things. Okay. Thanks, Dev. Wish you were here. So, Dev, right before we started recording, we were talking about how AMD guessed completely right in its CES announcements last year and how they had dedicated AI cores on their new chips that they unveiled. So this year they are continuing on that streak? Yeah, pretty much. Um, I think... You know, we talked about some uh, AMD announcements uh, last, uh, basically in December, but at CES, they specifically announced that uh, their Ryzen 8000G desktop chips are also going to be getting NPUs. Those are the neural processing units that do AI work. And that's kind of interesting because that makes them the first company to bring an MPU into a desktop x86 chip, you know, a chip that, you know, standard Windows will run. And last year, they were the first to bring it into a laptop x86 chip. So they were really just kind of on the cusp here. Uh, But to be absolutely clear, you know, as we talked about in the last few episodes, um, it was really the mobile chip manufacturers. So Apple specifically had the neural engine since 2017 in the iPhone chips, but also Qualcomm has had that stuff in a lot of their mobile chips too, and they just haven't really been tapped into. So yeah, we're seeing the overall industry kind of moving towards this. We also talked about Intel's Core Ultra chips, uh, which were announced officially completely in December. So those are gonna be the NPU enabled laptop chips from Intel. Really, that's why I was saying AIPC is the theme of the year, I think. Um, we're going to be seeing more of these things and hopefully more more software that could really take advantage of these chips. So that's my big thing. Is there anything you'd want to do with MPU, Ben, based on like what we've been talking about so far? I mean, right now, it seems like from what you've been talking about for the last few weeks, we haven't we don't have the like big app. We have a lot of small utilities yeah, that definitely. NPUs would run. So like background um, reduction or like virtual backgrounds that would look better. 
Oh, okay. But like, I mean, Adobe, like there are professional apps that are building in features that will tap into an MPU. So yeah, thing, you're talking yeah, about yeah. like the um, image generation that's built into Photoshop or something like that, right? It's not really, it's not even the image generation. It's like specific features. I think it's like the image enhancement stuff uh, that Photoshop can do. Audacity said that uh, one of their features that maybe transcoding or a certain type of exporting will also get a bit of a lift from it. So it's these little things that especially creative professionals do that you'll just get a bit of a bit of a lift you know like a bit of an assist which i think is kind of nice yeah actually i had to do some video transcoding a few weeks ago like over the holidays uh like help my family with some video transcoding this was the first time that i had done it in a long time i thought that my like m1 macbook pro would really power through it i mean it is it's a pretty good chip yeah but i can only imagine how long it took on other chips because this still took like 15 20 minutes per, oh yeah like 30 minute 30 45 minute piece of video what were you transcoding like 4k to 1080 or something yeah i mean that's video is hard and people forget this because um especially if you're not dealing with media you know, they're big files. They require a lot of work to transfer and stuff. It's not specifically video encoding that MPs will help with, but it's overall like, um, I think they've talked about like some video preview elements so that if you're previewing a thing in the timeline while you're editing it, the MPU can kind of help you see those things reflected uh, more easily or at least offload the generation of the timeline um, or the preview rather than hitting your CPU and GPU. And that's a lot of things here too. So, you know, Photoshop, uh, all the Adobe stuff can do this work and gets an assist from your GPU as well. The NPU is just kind of this added thing that is there and super useful for other tasks. Um, for you, Ben, there are things like um, background audio removal, you know, which is a thing um, I believe in Windows Studio Effects. That's like one of the one of the choices you can have. But there are going to be other apps that do that even more, and that may even be able to do the thing where uh, listen that that file I sent you of Sherlyn, she was calling in from a conference floor. Uh, conceivably, a really nice audio filter would be able to even like take out that low level stuff without less with less work on your part. You yeah, know, the background yeah. audio that we don't want. Yeah, no, so, I, and I totally yeah. understand that. Like one of the things that I've had the most trouble with for years now is echo reduction. Usually I use a program called Isotope. Isotope RX is so useful for hum reduction like background noise stuff but echo reduction is like a real weak point for it and recently a bunch of radio producers i know have all talked about like oh have you heard about the goyo beta and i'm like what what is this it is a fantastic really really good echo reduction program it's no longer called goyo it's now called supertone clear and I was able to like get in. <laughs> That's on uh, some... not more clear in terms of what it is, but okay, okay, yeah. I was able to get in on the beta pricing because I had like downloaded the beta and like played around with it just a little bit. And now I use it on a lot of things, especially because most of the files that I get from all of my like podcast producing clients, they don't have professional grades. Oh, studios. yeah, they're messy, I'm sure. There are a lot of people sitting in a lot of conference rooms with lots of hard surfaces. So I've ended up using that on a good, you know, third of everything that I've worked on since I started using this program. 
that's cool. That's cool. I, I would not be surprised if that specific tool will end up getting a bit of an MPU lift eventually. So kind of all, all the things that we're working on and dealing with will have a bit of an assist from these chips. I think they'll be a bigger deal in laptops because it can be more efficient than using the GPU on your desktop. I don't I don't think anybody actually really cares, but it's it's a nice thing to have. I do think the MPU the AI assisted background blur in Windows Studio FX looks pretty good. It looks better than the software stuff that comes in Zoom and Hangouts by default. And we'll hopefully see more of those features. And I'll have you know, Ben, I actually bought some big audio baffling curtains, which are behind <laughs> me right now. Nice. So this room does sound better than it used to because uh, I'm in my basement office and it was just all hard walls and you can hear it. You can hear the like harshness of the echo. So until people start treating their rooms better, you know, this is you're going to get hot audio that just sounds weird. Um, Until people I, start treating their rooms better is the same thing as when pigs fly. But anyway, I mean, when people start recording from under blankets, as we used to when we started this podcast, that's not a bad thing. I've talked to a lot of radio producers that will find a hotel closet in a blanket and just like that's their that's their hole. That's where they live while they record. Um, want to point out the Intel chips, by the way, at CES, they announced Things without MPUs, which is where it gets kind of interesting and maybe a little confusing. They announced their full 14th gen CPU family, and that includes a 24 core laptop chip. So this is the core, the like i7, i9, the 1400 models and things like that. These are chips meant for gaming laptops and super powerful computers. So this is where I think these companies are going to, like Intel specifically, is kind of in a weird jam because... These are their most powerful chips by horsepower. They are the ones people are going to get for people like you who want to do video work, who want to do audio work, except these don't have MPUs. So the MPUs are only in the Core Ultra chips, which are mainly meant for like mainstream machines, maybe maybe occasional you know, video creation or something. But it is a weird, weird uh, kind of separation there. If you get an AMD laptop, you can get both the super high-end AMD chips and the like ultra-portable AMD chips with MPUs. So I think AMD once again has a lead here. Um, you know, it's kind of funny. I did hear that Intel was kind of annoyed that we we're framing this as uh, Intel being late to this whole situation. I'm like, I'm I'm sorry, Intel, you're late. You're a year late compared to AMD. Um, the Core Ultra chip, the Meteor Lake chip, was delayed significantly. Um, that's just kind of what happens. So Intel is in a weird game of playing catch up right now. If you do get an Intel powered gaming laptop this year, you will not have an MPU, but you'll have a pretty fast chip. So I think that'll be fine for most people. Yeah. So NVIDIA also revealed uh, some new chips at CES too, right? Tell me about that. Yeah. I mean, it, it, these are the new super chips. So they introduced the RTX 40 super family. Um, mainly, this is like a price cut and a slightly better spec bump for some of the higher end chips. So uh, I believe the RTX, the 4080 originally was selling for like 1200 bucks. Uh, the new 4080 Super is slightly faster and sells for $1,000, which is if, if you're in playing in that wheelhouse, that is actually a pretty good uh, price reduction there. There's also a new RTX 4070 Ti or Ti. Uh, that's going to go for $799, uh, slightly faster 4070 tie there. And um, there's also, let me see here specifically, there is a 4070 Super that is $599. I feel like for many people, that is the sweet spot card. That is the mid-range card that is slightly faster than before. And you can probably get some decent overclocking out of that too. So, you know, cool stuff for gamers. Nothing transformational, nothing uh, unique or nothing that will change the industry. 
But let me tell you something that will change the industry, Ben, <laughs> is laptop RAM. I read this article to get ready for the show, and I have to admit that my eyes rolled around in my head a little bit. I, I spent a whole day. I spent a whole day researching this because it was a news hit that we saw. and was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. But the more I dug into it, the more interesting and actually the more impactful it seemed. Yeah, I want to um, see if you can explain it to me in oh, a way easily. that I would understand because Absolutely. I, I wasn't quite getting it from the article. So the story is Micron is debuting its first uh, LP Cam 2 RAM modules. These are tiny little modules that can hold uh, LP DDR RAM that's low power DDR RAM. And let me tell you, laptop RAM is in a weird place right now, Ben. So you may remember the days when laptops had sticks of RAM that you could like upgrade yourself. You could take one out, put more in if you wanted to. Uh, it was not too long ago when we were doing that. And that used to be the standard. That's called the SODIM standard. That is the, basically a smaller version of the DIM standard of the RAM sticks you put into desktops. That was a thing for a long time. And then I think the problem was that Apple made the MacBook Air. And everybody was like, oh, we need a MacBook Air. We need ultra portable. So people started taking RAM chips and putting them directly onto the motherboards, soldering them onto the motherboards, which did give you speed benefits and power benefits. Uh, that's where LPDDR RAM comes in if you see that listed near any of your devices. That means the RAM chips are soldered right onto the motherboard. You can't touch them. You can't remove them. You can't upgrade them. If something goes wrong, you're screwed. Basically, you have to replace the whole computer. Um, that has basically been the trend for the past decade or so. Uh, what these chips, uh, what these new chips are doing, uh, LP Cam, and LP Cam is just like, it, it means low-powered Cam to memory. Uh, there's a bit of a history test here, or a bit of a history going back into it. Dell basically was saying, and a Dell engineer realized this was a problem because the SODIMs in laptops were so annoying. Um, doing LPDDR right on the motherboard was not really sustainable. It's not great for repairability. It's not great for upgradability. So this Dell engineer worked on a uh, sort of like a standalone module that could hold those LPDDR RAM sticks and other RAM sticks. But it's like it's like a little module. It screws onto the motherboard. Um, it is shorter. So there's less Z height, which means you can actually fit it into thinner cases, which has been the thing a lot of people have been chasing. Thinner and so, lighter. Thinner and lighter. It's shorter. It has uh, shorter traces to the CPU, which means it can pump out more memory bandwidth with lower power too, so more efficient as well. And the key, I think the ultimate key, is that it's upgradable. These are like little modules that you can unscrew and add more RAM down the line. If you have trouble with this RAM, you could get it replaced completely, which is the thing that may happen at some point. And um, the screwing, I think, is probably the only big downside here because it's like five small screws, and that's kind of annoying. Uh, the old RAM sticks used to like clip in and out um, with like the, the side clips and stuff. The problem with those side clips is that they get loose. RAM used to get loose all the time, especially in like IBM ThinkPad. So when I was in IT work, I would very often, like several times a month, just have to yank open somebody's computer and be like, oh, I see what's happening here. Why your computer isn't booting? Your RAM is loose. So I shuffle it in, hope it, and all you could do is hope and pray that it doesn't like get jostled again. So that will not happen with these LP Cam 2 or the Cam 2 RAM sticks. Basically, when laptops start using these, you can upgrade your RAM again. I think that's the big selling point. I think that's a huge deal for a lot of people. 
So does this completely get around the bottleneck that you were talking about very early in the article? Or yeah. Is, okay, great. That's fantastic. So there is, yeah, there is a bottleneck facing DDR, LPDDR5X RAM, like I believe it's like 6,500 megabits per second or something. These can go much higher. These can go faster. Um, and that's going to be a big deal too for memory bandwidth. I believe that is something Apple kind of solved with its, the way it configured RAM on the Apple Silicon chips Apple Silicon is weird because the RAM is right there on the chip. It is directly embedded in the chip, which is also why you can't upgrade RAM in any of your Apple Silicon laptops. Uh, We've talked about that before. I think that's like the big downside to the new Macs. You know, they're great, they're fast, they're powerful, but you have to buy the RAM you want at the beginning. There's no going back. But the big problem with Macs is also that they do not want you to take the case apart, (laughs) period. So the last time I think you were able to upgrade RAM on a Mac laptop was around the 2008 era of (laughs) MacBook Pro, which is the first MacBook Pro, first laptop that I ever had. The, like, extra RAM slots were underneath the removable battery. Yes, I remember this. I remember this. And you were able to do all of that stuff. If you were really using your battery heavily, you could just take it out and get a new one and also upgrade the RAM while you were there. But yeah. but that, w- that was a big, thick laptop is the thing. Like, the thing about removable batteries is that... I think I still have that laptop around because... Uh, a family member also had like a um, laser engraver set up. My cousin is a big maker. And so he um, set me up with like a custom laser engraving on my first ever laptop that, you know, had my name and like phone number or email address. So I was like, oh, I don't want to throw that out. So one day when I go back to my parents' house, I'll go and try to find that 2008 era laptop and see how big it really was. How big? I mean, I'm looking it up here. The the mid-2009 MacBook Pros, at least based on what I'm seeing, weighed like uh, 4.5 pounds, which is not that bad. Actually, the... 14-inch MacBook Pro now, I believe, is under 4 pounds, and that's 14 inches. So the 13-inch is kind of – was always around 4 pounds. Even the last 13-inch uh, M2 and M1 MacBook Pros were there. But anyway, my big thing is that uh, we just haven't been able to touch our laptop RAM in a while um, unless you're running a super gigantic gaming laptop, which still use those sticks. So you can, like, take those apart and, like, get into them. Uh, Frameworks laptops also like let you easily get into them. Uh, I have something I'll be testing soon too, which will let me do a bit of tinkering inside. But the SODIM modules, they're just dated. Soldering RAM directly onto your motherboard, not a, not a great thing. So these uh, CAM2 modules, I think are going to be a big deal. Micron announced that they're making, that they're the first to actually make them. But it is interesting that Samsung, I think back in September, was like, hey, we have a design for a module. We're the first to announce a design. And then Dell actually uh, implemented some CAM modules in uh, one of their like mainstream laptops last year. Not many people talked about it, but people were a little, they were worried that Dell was launching some weird like proprietary format. And that's not the case at all. Instead, it's that Dell basically helped to spearhead this design. It was recently approved by the, uh, by the regulatory authority that handles memory, JEDEC, J-E-D-E-C. Uh, in, so in December, they formalized the, LP, the CAM2 design so other people can make it. Um, I think this is going to be a big deal, but mainly hardware nerds going to be thinking about, you know, I don't think regular users need to worry about it, but that's fine. It's fine because that's what standards are for. And then when they bring it into a computer store, if something goes wrong or they want to upgrade, they can't. 
you have that flexibility. I think that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So there were also another bunch of notable announcements at CES. And the first that I identified was standalone AI devices. Excuse me. We identified them. I just want to <laughs> yeah, talk about yeah. the rabbit because this thing is so cute. Go look up a picture if you haven't seen it. It's on Engadget. This is a little Game Boy looking thing. It reminds me so much of the Playdate. And you were talking about that with Sherlyn earlier in the episode. It is a case designed by Teenage Engineering. This is not a Teenage Engineering product, but I think Teenage Engineering does like design consultancy and stuff. So if you liked the look of the Playdate, even if you didn't buy one, and so, like, what does this actually do? Can you talk to this and it will talk back? Because this is getting to, like, one of the uses for generative AI that I think is really interesting. So For sure. And we've does this something... just listen or does it talk back? Do you know? It doesn't listen. It is kind of like a walkie-talkie. So there's a button you hit and it's like a trigger button. And when you hit it, then you can, like, issue a command. And it's kind of a weird thing. It's not quite what we talked about with the Humane AI pin. That thing was designed to replace your phone entirely and be like your all-in-one AI assistant. Um, this is a different approach at being an AI assistant. I will say it does look a lot like the Playdate. Like, man, they just basically took that basic square design and added like a uh, a scrolly wheel. Yeah, rather instead than, of a hand you know, crank, crank on the yeah. Playdate, there's just a scrolly wheel. It is cute, and I do like the color. Uh, this thing can be powered by a uh, cellular connection as well. So you can plug a SIM card into it, or you can run it over Wi-Fi. But yeah, you hit a button, and you basically can instruct it to do things. So some examples they gave is uh, you can instruct it to like call an Uber for you or uh, make a reservation for you, and it'll just do it. You will trust. Hopefully, they would do it. Uh it's more like a conduit to a website that Rabbit is uh, is going to be hosting where you plug in your account details. So the website is where you have like your Uber information and stuff like that. And from there, this little device is just like, you know, it's like a satellite device to what's happening there. They also showed off some things of like you could show it how to do things, like record a video of you doing something on your computer and would like learn to do it too. I have no idea how that's going to actually work out. Um, it seems like during the demo for a lot of these uh, new devices, the companies doing the demo have a little finger on the scale and like everything just works perfectly oh yeah, when definitely. it might not otherwise. So how much learning can this thing actually do? I'm not we, sure. We don't know. There's a lot we don't know. I think what is interesting is that this thing starts at 199 so that is much better than the Humane AI pin, which is a six, I believe, six ninety nine device. Like that is a very expensive device, and also uh, requires a cell connection, right? Also requires a cell connection. This one, so doesn't. basically, you you're could... carrying around two cell phones with two mm -hmm. cell phone bills if you want and to two be able separate to use numbers, it, yeah, yeah, wherever. Yep. Um, so that's the Humane AI pin. I am not fully sold on that yet, and uh, there was some news about that that they. Also just laid off um, 10 people or 4% of their staff even before that thing shipped. Not exactly a good sign. And I, you know, I hope it's, it's always sad when we hear about layoffs and we'll be talking about more soon. But that does not give me hope for what Humane is trying to do with the AI pin. And the thing about rabbits is that I'm not fully sold on this thing either. But at least it is a very self-contained idea. Um, you know, it's a, not a super expensive device. They are telling you you could do some basic things. 
and you're basically hoping and praying that their whole, uh, they are tapping into generative AI to do tasks for you and to potentially learn things. Um, we're kind of just hoping that what rabbit creates will actually live up to what they're saying. But if it doesn't, then, you know, you've lost $200 and that's not a big deal compared to investing in the humane AI pin or something. I will encourage everybody to go look at the, uh, the launch video for the rabbit, the R1, uh, on a recent podcast, we were talking about like something I was seeing on Twitter that was kind of teasing itself. And it was this, it was the rabbit. And, I think the launch video is kind of cringe, but also kind of endearing at the same time. It does remind me of when like small startups would try to launch things and, uh, you know, they don't have the backing or the power of Samsung's marketing machine or something. It's just a guy. It's just a dude. I believe the CEO or one of the founders uh, showing it off. And uh, it's not perfect. It's not like fully perfect. It's not fully polished, um, but they're trying. Um, yeah, it's CEO Jesse Liu who is showing it off in the video they're doing their best Steve Jobs impressions, you know, like that's it seems basically like it. everyone has been doing that for like the last oh, 15 forever. years or so. Yeah. Apple broke our brains with, uh, you know, uh, perfectly tuned video announcements for things. And then everybody has started doing it. I will say this. I'm not fully sold in the rabbit, but a standalone AI device. Uh, these things remind me of you remember the era of the flip cam. You remember when, like, even HTC was making, like, weird little, like, standalone video cameras? Mm -hmm. It was cool, and they were popular for a while, but uh, it was mainly because our cell our smartphone batteries sucked, and their cameras were not as good as some of those standalone cameras. But now your smartphone camera is great, and those things all died off. I can't remember when was the last time I've seen a flip cam uh, in public. So looking at this, it's like, I don't. This should be what my this should be what my smartphone does. I should just be telling Siri, "Hey Siri, you know, get get my Uber here. You know my location. You know my, all my details. You're a secure platform that I already know. It's all happening on device. I Siri already have my information on Apple Pay. Exactly. The only thing that you would need to do is maybe in like in a future version of one of these things, it might have like a fingerprint reader or something just as an extra level of security. Because I mean, Apple pay makes you put your do face ID or, or you do put face your ID. code in. I mean, I, yeah, I, I would not be surprised if it would require a face ID to do that sort of thing. So, but what I'm saying is that it will not be too long until our smartphones are kind of doing these things. And honestly, this is with the dream of what, I think Siri and Google Assistant and everything. I just want to be able to talk to my computers. I want to be able to have a conversation with my computers in the way that so so much sci-fi has. So it's really heartening that for the first time in a while, it feels like the tech industry has not created the torment nexus. They've created like the communicators from Star Trek. I mean, sure, except it's all part of the torment nexus, right? It's all part of like <laughs> things that could go badly. But yes, we have we have these virtual assistants. We do have generative AI things now that can help to make those assistants smarter. It's gonna be interesting to see how companies kind of tap into that moving forward. Like Google has talked about, you know, eventually bringing Bard stuff into Google Assistant, and we're kind of gonna get here, and that would be nice because I also feel like maybe it's a millennial thing, but like doing simple tasks sometimes. It's like the hardest thing in the world. I'm just so I'm oh, so overwhelmed no, with like adulting. work. Adulting <laughs> is hard. Like I gotta I gotta make a reservation for this thing to go do, and I'm like I got so much work to do. I have to deal with kids and stuff. It's like mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. basic task that if you were rich, you would have an assistant to go do those things for you. Um, I think having a, a little AI helper like that would be useful to a lot of people. 
That could make our lives better. Who knows? Yeah. So there were also a bunch of gaming laptops. Dev, just go off on this. I mean, gaming laptops, cool. We didn't get any, um, I think AMD did announce that some new AIM, like mobile GPUs are coming. But yeah, we didn't get any major gaming laptop news hardware-wise, but I do want to call out a couple of models, especially the Asus ROG Zephyrus G14. I have loved the G14 for years. Like, I've reviewed it several times. And this latest design is is beautiful. Like it is one of the most beautiful computers I've ever seen. It does feel like Asus has taken a lot of, uh, basically all of their manufacturing expertise to try to make Apple-like devices. It does feel like this could be something Apple would make. It has a new aluminum case, um, all updated specs, of course, like using the latest things. Uh, the keycaps are 10, 12% larger. Uh, the speakers are larger. But this is one of those devices, like sometimes I just look at it and sometimes I pull it out and touch it. I'm like, oh, I'm in love. I'm in instant <laughs> love with this device. And this will be one of my favorite things of the year. And I've been previewing a demo model here uh, in my office, thankfully. And oh, it is so good. It just feels so good. Like I love a hard, I love a piece of hardware that just feels good and you can trust it and it feels sturdy and sleek. And I like to touch it. So there's a little like weird perverse hardware nerdery going on here. <laughs> But I like touching this thing, and uh, yeah, I hope to touch it more later this year. It's a Zephyrus <laughs> G14. It is really cool. And the G16 is like the bigger variant, uh, same design there. Uh, the Alienware M16 is kind of interesting because uh, we, uh, Sam and I, Sam Rutherford and I, talked to Dell in December. And this is interesting because they completely redesigned the M16, which was first like redesigned last year with like a whole new look and aesthetic and everything. But they basically heard from a lot of users that people did not like the rear hump that was on last year's M16. If you remember Alienware laptops, they tend to have like a big, big old, a lot of junk in the trunk. They've got a, a big behind, which handles like the ports and fans and just like heat ejection and stuff. And they heard from a lot of people that, that they just, can't it doesn't fit in their bags it's kind of weird and unwieldy and honestly it's not something people do anymore like hardware makers don't really have those big uh fan humps anymore yeah and i've heard people say that the fan humps are like a battery hump on you know some older laptops also make them easier to like hold and carry around but then you're gonna have to if it's a battery hopefully it's removable because then how are you going to get it into a bag so i totally understand totally understand but uh basically alienware heard the feedback from people uh because the m16 should be there the one most people end up buying it's their like mainstream gaming laptop option and there were just so many complaints. So they went ahead and redesigned it. They completely, um, I believe, just shaved away the hump. Uh, they made it a lot smaller. Um, let me see here. There's a redesigned cooling system. Uh, they shaved off an inch and a half of depth. They're, the new cooling system produces 43% more airflow. So I do feel like that that last model was a, a thing with Alienware not quite optimizing their design and kind of just relying on the big hump to do things. So... You know, it's kind of cool. It's also a pound and a half lighter, according to Sam. Uh, this one is 5.75 pounds versus seven pounds on the old M16. So, you know, Alienware is known for power. If you're buying a big, powerful gaming laptop, you expect it to be a little heavy. But man, those things are so heavy. Now, I would never buy one of those. That's purely for the gamers. The reason I like something like the Zephyrus G14 is that the original one was like three and a half pounds and still like pretty powerful. Um, and this new one is pretty light too. So it is a better balance of style and size and everything. But anyway, new M16 is kind of cool. 
Uh, we also got some new Razer blades, of course. We always get those at CES. Mainly this year, there's no major redesign, but there are new screens. The Blade 16 now has a 16-inch 240 hertz OLED display. The Blade 18 has a 4K 165 hertz panel. Um, those are insane. <laughs> those are insane resolutions because you're never going to play a game natively in 4K and actually hit that frame rate. But, you know. It's the fact that it can do it. Um, it's kind of a big number call for Razer. Uh, I think like the basic, the better screens we're seeing on all gaming laptops these days, and honestly, even a lot of ultra portables, I think that's enough. Like 120 hertz is like a really nice bump up from 60 hertz for a lot of people. 240 is really what you want at the for a gaming dedicated laptop. 240 is great. Um, I'm a big 1440p 240 gamer. I think that's kind of where it's at. But yeah, nothing super exciting from Razer at this point. Are you ready to invest in any of these gaming laptops, Ben? I mean, I'm set on just a work laptop. I only bought this M1 MacBook Pro because it was partially subsidized by the American federal government, which is to say uh, from one of the stimulus checks. Yay. Well, also, you can play games with that now because now Apple is no longer shying away from games. So you could play was it Life of P, right? I, I haven't even really thought about that because I what I would actually like to do is get kind of a secondary laptop that I can use for like games and fun stuff just because like I have no separation between work and life. Maybe Otherwise, you don't need a laptop though. Maybe you need like a nice little cute little gaming desktop, you know, or something that that could be kind of cool. I like mean, nook. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I just like work in, I work from home and I don't want to like use my work laptop for other stuff, even though this is 100% mine. I don't have to give this back to anyone. Yeah. Well, actually, Ben, you should, you should be looking at a Steam Deck or any of those things. So we did see a handful of things. I believe MSI showed off one, two at CES. I'm less enthused about it than Sam was. Uh, he wrote up a good preview, but that thing is powered by an Intel graphics and Intel chips. And I, I'm still waiting to see Intel graphics be better than AMD's. And the thing that makes a Steam Deck and all the other ones work is that they have good Radeon graphics from AMD and they're better. So uh, that's my recommendation to you, Ben. I hope you get one of those things. You get a Steam Deck OLED. That would be a really nice uh, nice machine for you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, my girlfriend wanted to get a, a Steam Deck and then decided to get a gaming laptop and was kind of disappointed with this gaming laptop. Uh, and it now, depends. like, yeah. the Steam Deck is so much easier to get than just that moment when there was the decision between do I get on the Steam Deck waiting list or um, get a gaming laptop? It's a weird thing. Uh, I think the other thing that's cool about the Steam Deck is that if you get a dock for it, it's basically like a switch. You can yep. put it, hook it up to your TV and mm -hmm. like play, uh, you know, uh, what was it? Uh, you don't know Jack. You could play like multiplayer games on your TV with that too or play Diablo 4 on your TV and that thing is powerful enough to play some of those. So anyway, those things are cool. This is going to be a pretty good year for handheld PC hardware. Um, the gaming laptops, like nothing super exciting except for that Z14, G14. So then there were like a bunch of other weird things at CES. And most of these were kind of covered in your conversation with Sherlyn. We've got this like Samsung ball E robot, mm -hmm. a helpful little friend that follows you around your house and like can project things. Um, seems like it would be great for kids however it's still kind of a screen so it depends on the parent and the parenting style doesn't it it does i mean listen a projected screen is still a screen right so i think people are going to have issues with that i do think 
I could imagine a future where we all have our own little like BB-8 robots running, rolling around. I was trying not to mention yeah. the Star Wars. You gotta, guy. you gotta mention BB-8. You gotta. The whole point of BB-8 is that, uh, you know, I think Sphero was the company that originally had like the ball robot tech and. It was just a cool toy for a while, and then I think their tech ended up in BB-8, as I recall. Um, but yeah, that stuff. And did Samsung buy Sphero? I forget what even happened there. I'll have to look that up. Do not take that with a you know take that with a grain of salt, people. But the idea of a rolling robot that like moves around your house and has a camera and can keep an eye on things, especially your pets. And also, maybe if you want to video chat with your pet, like maybe it could like spit that out too. Uh, I don't think this design of the Bali does that, but I can imagine a future thing that does that. I think tiny projectors are really cool. I'm going to be testing some from Anchor and other companies soon that are really small, but can project huge, huge images. And I could like this thing, if we're in the playroom or something and my kids are just like, I kind of, okay, can I watch Peppa Pig or something? Um, rather than go bring a, a, a an iPad out or something, like maybe it could just be like, just get a robot, put that on the wall. Or if we're watching YouTube videos or something, project something to the wall or to the floor, or maybe even this does like, feel very future. Enough. It feels like near That's future. Cool. Like this is one of the things that might be rolling around in the kids' playroom, you know, sometime in the next you know twenty-five to fifty years or something. It's definitely near future, and honestly, I don't think it's like decades away, Ben. I like, do think like maybe within a handful of years, even five years, this could be a thing people have in their homes to just like keep an eye on your pets, but also keep an eye on your kids. Like right now, my kids are at a really interesting age where I don't they're know. They're running around, aren't they? They're running around. And it's you like, could I really use something be... that runs after them, couldn't yes, you? Yes, I can't always be in the same room if I'm cooking and my wife is like uh, collapsed and taking a nap or something. I always try to be in the room with them. My son is almost two. My daughter's five. So she is like, she is pretty much good on her own. I could put her down to play or whatever. I can trust she'll, she'll be good. But a toddler is like a little a little walking disaster, always trying to hurt themselves or something. So listen, if a kid falls, you will hear it. They will start crying. Um, but if they fall and they don't cry, that is very dangerous. If they fall and get knocked out or something, like something bad happens. Um, and then things happen so quickly. Like as a parent, like if I'm dealing with something on the stove and they're playing and then I run to check in on them every couple of minutes, in that time, if there's a little thing keeping an eye on them, just being like, hey, hey, what's happening here? This kid has stopped moving. Um, that okay, would be that's cool. one of the better use cases that I can think of. You have baby monitors, but those are stationary. Those just yep. watch the crib. This could be your toddler monitor. <laughs> and it's like a fun color, and it looks really cute. So it's a perfect kind of like kid companion. I like that. Perfect idea. kid. And maybe it's always like, it's up to you if you want to like record stuff to it. But I could see like eventual like AI tech being like, oh, they're doing something cool, right? Like something cool is happening. I'm going to record this moment and send it to you, the parent. Um, there, There's a lot of cool stuff that could be happening with this stuff, but kid data. Anyway, that's a, that's a whole thing, whatever we're, we're conjecturing here, but I would be interested in seeing like where this tech goes. Um, Sony also, Sony, had a little bit to PlayStation say about PlayStation car. PlayStation car. Uh, they <laughs> drove, they supposedly drove the Afila EV, which is the electric car they partnered with. Um, yeah, no new concept. information has come out on whether yeah. or not they actually drove this car on the true. stage. It doesn't look a... real. It. I, I watched the video. It does not look like they're actually controlling with the car. I also, listen, this car is on a stage 
five feet away from the stage is like a crowd of people. Sony is not going to let you have like remote control ability to like plow through that crowd. So I think even even on like a, you know, safety level, uh, that never could have happened. I mean, they might have set it to like when you press X, it only goes like two miles an hour or something. But even then... Like, the car just goes crazy. Well, so to be clear, the Afila is a concept that Sony's developing together with Honda. And uh, listen, if there are companies I don't want to hear, like, talk about electric car stuff, it is Honda, which has been slow late to this market. Like, guys, I'm not going to give you much credit for any of this. And also Sony, like, I don't – get out of cars. You don't you don't have any business in here. Um, they just showed it off. They, they showed it off and did the controller demo. And that's kind of it. Um that's it. Yeah, we have no new information. It's nothing that will actually ever hit uh, hit stores or something or that you could buy. It was always a thing for Sony to show off like what its vision of in-car entertainment would be like. So I sat in the Afila. I don't think it wasn't the Afila, but I sat in the Sony concept a couple of years ago and just a lot of screens or screens all around you in front of the driver, in front of the passenger, I believe one for watching screen. TV. For... for watching stuff or video, I mean, that is essentially the next generation CarPlay experience uh, Apple is trying to sell, which is going to be in luxury cars as well. So that's kind of the thing. And I can imagine that being interesting, especially if like our cars have better sensors or are doing more autonomous driving on their own. I think people will like that. That's part of the appeal of Tesla, you know, just a big ass screen. And then... There was also like a trend at CES of just being quiet. You talked about the skited mask, the the mask that like um, reduces the sound of your voice to like up to what, 25, 28 decibels mm -hmm. or something. I think it cuts off 25 decibels. So okay. It's like, it makes it even somebody standing, as Sherlin said, if somebody was standing next to you and you were like talking to it, they couldn't hear you. And it's funny because I sometimes use earplugs while I'm sleeping and the earplugs that I've used for a long time are a 30 decibel reduction. So I have a kind of understanding of how big a reduction that is and it's really significant it's significant like, yeah you could have a full conversation and people would just be able to hear like like really indistinct kind of stuff that we talked about that already there's also the wisp ring and okay ai on your finger like everything is ai what else does this do like you can it's, whisper uh, to your yeah. ring and it will communicate with your phone or is this another thing that requires a cell subscription it it, it cannot it's too small to be a cell subscription uh, it looks like it is a ring uh, with a proximity sensor and microphone that activates it when you raise it to your mouth um i'm just looking here i don't you can interact with your smartphone i'm not sure if we know exactly like how it's actually working or what it's connecting to i would imagine this device would connect to your smartphone because there's no room for actual hardware and like a sim card or anything um, but it's kind of cool. If you remember, um, one of my defining memories of like Knight Rider or something is we all have this where Dick Tracy is like, you know, the hero talking to their watch. Mm -hmm, and sometimes mm -hmm. Knight Rider, he'd be whispering to his watch because he's like on patrol or like uh, hiding from bad guys or something. So to have like a little thing that you could raise up to your mouth and just like whisper commands. That's kind of cool. I'm also not surprised this is from a South Korean company because, you know, culturally a lot of other countries do not want speaking louder than everybody else being loud indoors or something is like not as much. A thing. Yeah. It was funny when Sherlin said something about like, Oh yeah. Like on, in some countries they don't want you to talk on the phone, on the train. America is one of those countries. 
<laughs> like it just well, shows in one car on the train, and even then, it's not uh it's not always observed. Right? I'm the just quiet car saying is a big thing that on the it shows yeah. how little Sherlin commutes because in New York City. And the regional area, like there are quiet cars also. So it's not like it might be better enforced elsewhere. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. But then she was talking about like broadly everywhere, like the societal norm for every car in some, a lot of countries is not to talk on the phone when you're on the train because it's super annoying. And even here, we've relegated it to like a, a car, you know, and even that car, people still do it. Anyway, I think this is cool. It's you kind thought, of a cool idea. Yeah. And you thought Knight Rider. I thought more like either high fantasy, like a ring that you can whisper to, the ring of whispers, or it feels like something that Dune would do, except for the fact that Dune like issues no AI, no AI, yeah, no, no AI, no, no like complicated stuff other than kind of radio. You, you have but to be like, the computer in Dune, as I recall. Like, a it ring is like, that you can yeah. whisper to seems like the sort of clandestine stuff that they talk about much more in the book and didn't really cover in the movies. Like, there's a whole like hand signal language that the oh, yeah, Atreides yeah, yeah. use and like a, a separate like battle language it gets really in depth last thing on our list of interesting stuff at ces is the lifespan bike which i said reminds me so much of the like stationary bike that's ubiquitous in all science centers these days where it shows you how hard you need to pedal in order to like make a light bulb light up just a little bit this takes that concept and allows you to charge your phone with it that's kind of cool. Um, yeah, Daniel Cooper looked at this for us, and uh, it is it is essentially a stationary bike that will charge your phone. You can reduce your laptop or your phone via 65-watt USB-C port. I think actually for laptops, it's actually pretty cool. Um, since you can both, like, exercise and, like, do work, like maybe even be on work calls while charging your laptop, like, that is turns you to a little efficient machine, isn't it? That's kind of cool. Um, I like the concept of this thing. I'm just thinking, like... Why, why don't more bikes like let you just like take advantage of this? Because you have so much energy created when you're pedaling on a Peloton or whatever. Transfer some of that to something else so I can charge my phone or something, you know? And so I was also looking at like all of the Qi devices that were announced like in and around CES. And so why don't you have just something on the handlebars of a Peloton bike or any other stationary bike? Now you have these really good magnets that you can just like latch your phone onto and charge your phone via Qi. Except for the fact that there's even more energy loss in that kind of wireless charging. Yeah, you don't want to do it wirelessly because then it kind of defeats the purpose, I guess, a little bit. It's a, it's a shame. But hey, I like this bike. This bike seems cool. I would also recommend people, if you want to hear some uh, or see some of the weirder stories from CES, Mr. Daniel Cooper has been kind of on a roll. He tends to find the weird stuff. And last year, I think he had a big, I think it was one of his P-Tech stories had like a big pop for us. So that was like one of the most popular stories of last CES. Uh, this year, he also looked at the Moonwalkers. Did you see these, Ben? These are like I, little skates. Yeah, I heard about. Shoes in. I heard Sherlyn talking about them, and it seems like they are not as smooth as. <laughs> they look real bad. Yeah, <laughs> they all look good. But there's video of uh, of Dan skating around the badly carpeted CES uh, floor. The uh, basic idea is that they're kind of like airport people movers, but only for your feet. 
Is that right? You get like a little bit more of a a little bit more. I mean, what, are, what were those? Uh, you take? The sneakers with skates in them, which were the wheelies. Heelys. Like that was uh, after my time. Like when I was not a kid, but I would have loved to have those things when I was a kid. But sort of like a safer version of those. But you slip your shoes into them, and you can like you know glide around a little bit. Uh, Dan also wrote this story this morning called uh, "Teach Quote Your Dog to Play Quote This Quote Piano." which I think he has been on a headline role. Just like, it is hilarious. It's this weird like piano thing that you could like, uh, has like four keys and you can have your dog play music with it. Uh, created by a company called Zoo Gears. Uh, cool stuff. Fun stuff. This is the joy of CES is just seeing weird things that will not ultimately amount to anything, I think. But hey, somebody decided to make it and maybe maybe something will happen with it. Um, it is like a circus for technology at times, you know? <laughs> okay, so you were talking about Heelys and I was thinking, man, there must be a ton of ACL injuries that happened because of Heelys. Oh, absolutely. They and were banned in schools. Like, they were bad. Yeah. So I looked up ACL injuries from Heelys. I found a Science Direct article that has an exclamation point in it. Like, the, the title has an exclamation <laughs> point in Stop wearing Heelys! So, yeah, point. so I don't know how reputable the article or the journal is, but this is from the journal just called Injury. And it says, Healy Injuries, a new epidemic warranting a government health warning, exclamation point. This is from August 2007. <laughs> there we go. 2007 sounds about right. But you know what? Healy's were, they were kind of a menace, just like uh, electric ski boards or whatever else, like uh, little razor scooters too. Like anything that gets kids moving quickly can lead to injuries it's just bad stuff um but yeah anything else ben like we're not going to be talking about cs much after this week but did anything else strike your fancy from the show so far i saw the mouse for your mouth like a oh, device that was cool. that al- yeah, yeah allows people to scroll um with their tongue um i'm looking forward to watching sherlyn's video about the uh, limb stabilizer that she talked about uh it seems like a lot of the stuff that i find most interesting is either accessibility adjacent or ex- specifically accessibility sort of stuff. Like the mouth pad mm-hmm. could be really useful for folks who either never had great control of their limbs mm-hmm. or um, have a you know neurodegenerative disease like ALS or something. Um, now you can scroll a little bit mm-hmm. more easily. I don't know whether or not this would be better than the eye tracking technology that um, they use now. And then also all of the generative AI kind of AI pin sort of things that are eventually going to make uh, like smartphone assistants better. That's also accessibility adjacent. Like now you can have a conversation with your computer. People saying, oh, I wish my phone could make reservations for me or something. That is a nice to have for an able-bodied person and could just open up an entirely new world for anyone who needs that extra help, you know? Definitely. Definitely. I think that's like a big thing. We're seeing better and better assistive tech all around. So I think it was great that Sherlyn was there to check out a lot of these things as well. So you know what, folks? Let us know what your favorite thing from CS this year was. Um... Drop us an email, podcast at Engadget.com. All right, let's step back from CES and look at the the real world, the world outside of uh, Las Vegas at this point. There have been a lot of layoffs this year, unfortunately, and that includes Amazon. Uh, Amazon has laid off, uh, looks like, several hundred roles. 
from Prime yeah, Video. Yeah, there was no specific number. Yeah, but no Mike specific numbers. Uh, executive for Prime Video said that there would be several hundred layoffs in uh, Prime Video and MGM. And then there was a 35% reduction of workforce at Twitch. Wild. That seems confusing to me, but... Twitch costs a lot of money, Ben. Like, that is... It's video. Stream, it's yeah, video. no. Stri- yeah. And streaming is a lot of money because it's a lot of bandwidth, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, our story, yeah, tw- 35% people. That is over 500 people from Twitch. Um, Steve Dent wrote this up for us. It, ser- it turns out, like, Twitch, even though it's so successful in terms of being, like, the de facto streaming platform for a lot of people, it is still unprofitable because it costs a lot of money to pump out those videos and to stream those videos. And I think they probably hired a bunch during the pandemic as well early on because they were having a bit of a audience lift. Everybody was staying home and watching game footage and stuff. And that's just no longer the case. It is kind of wild to see just wide, widespread layoffs happening all at once, too, because we also saw news this morning that Google's laying off hundreds of employees in its assistant hardware and other divisions. Um, the cuts, uh, reading from our report here, could be at least 600 people, but maybe even higher. The founders of Fitbit, uh, Shalin and I were talking about them. The founders of Fitbit are gone. They're leaving. James Park is not going to be a part of the company anymore. Um, they're kind of consolidating its Pixel, Nest, and Fitbit divisions. Um, Although, how long yeah. did how long ago did Google buy Fitbit? It feels I don't know. I have to look up the date, but it does. Was it, it it's uh, been a while? Just enough time for everybody's uh, shares to vest? Could it be? It's usually three years, right? They usually yeah. try to keep you there for two to three years. Um, I, it is probably time, but it is one of those things where. I have always had issues with the way Google has handled hardware and its consumer products. And the problem is like, it's always these different divisions and a lot of things happening and no like clear defined vision in terms of what they're doing. So I don't know if this is necessarily going to be even better. Uh, the company will reportedly have one team responsible for hardware engineering across the divisions of Fitbit, Pixel and Nest. Uh, Nest was another company that like had trouble integrating itself into Google. Um, that's just wild. You know, last year, don't forget, Google made some of its uh, largest cuts ever. As of late last year, Google employed 182,000 people. And uh, at the beginning of 2020, it was hundred, basically 119,000 people. So a lot, a lot of folks that they hired during the pandemic. Interest rates were a lot lower then. Yeah, they're a lot higher. They were saying, a lot of people were saying money was free, which I hate that term so much. Um, but yeah, it's unfortunate for these workers and it does annoy me too, that this can just happen on the worker level. Right. And the executives who do the hiring and who kind of set up these whole systems usually go untouched, you know, like they will still be rewarded for a lot of this and a lot of their work. They'll probably be rewarded for doing the layoffs because it saves the company's money and that makes shareholders happy. So just a wonderful system we have here. And by the way, speaking of compromise systems, um, we did see the news this week that uh, the SEC's uh, Twitter account or X account was compromised. Uh, I believe they sent out something. What was it about something about Bitcoin or something about what? What was it, Ben? The false tweet said that it approved Bitcoin ETFs, and then I think yes, were Bitcoin ETFs then approved a little while later. I'm not sure how that all went down, but that was an unauthorized post. And the story we see now is that Twitter is saying uh, the SEC's account was compromised, not because of Twitter's platform, but because of an, un- uh, an unauthorized person got control of a phone number tied to the SEC. 
Um, and apparently they also didn't have two-factor enabled, so that that's a whole thing. And um, the really confusing yeah. thing is that actually hours ago, as we're recording this on Thursday, January 11th, the SEC did officially approve Bitcoin ETFs. Uh-huh. So that just makes it that that's that just makes it even worse. And the strange thing is that Bitcoin's price didn't move all that much after this fake announcement. There was a lot of speculation about whether or not there was a group of people trying mm-hmm. to make a bunch of money off this little pop, but it didn't really seem like it. And now we actually have Bitcoin ETFs. I'm so, so confused. So, so confused. Well, anyway, that's a the pretty big thing to actually get uh, compromised on, twi- on Twitter. So I don't know. A shame. Again, be wary of everything on Twitter, even accounts that appear to be legitimate because everything is just kind of a mess right now. What does but, legitimate mean now that yeah. you can pay for your verification? What does legitimate mean? That's we're gonna have to have a whole conversation about like even how you even find information on X anymore, if it's even worth it. We are in a terrifying information ecosystem. Let's talk about something good, Ben. I'm feeling not good right now. Can you do you have anything, maybe a story <laughs> about oh, <no. laughs> a world? Yeah, okay. Yeah. In terms of um, things that feel good, I mm-hmm. am sorry, but Disco Elysium is not one of them. It's a feel-bad, good story, though. Yes. It's a good yes. story that will make you feel bad. I've been like slowly playing Disco Elysium for the last... I mean, I picked it up a while ago and then to, like just completely forgot where I same, was in the same. story. Same, I did that too, yeah. And so I picked it up again just a few weeks ago. I don't think I'm stupid. I think that I'm just There's a like, flow to this game you have to get into. So you're not I'm, in the flow, you think? I think I'm bowled over by mm-hmm. just the like depth of the world that they created that's, in this that's, game. It's like reading a novel. Is it is seriously it is. like yeah. reading a novel. And one of the things that actually helped me get into this game a bit more is I almost exclusively use headphones when I'm playing video games. I'm playing Disco Elysium on the Switch. And I was just like so deeply stuck in this game that actually like playing without headphones, just with like all the voices coming out of the tinny little uh, Switch speaker helped a lot. Because otherwise, I would get lost in Lenval Brown's voice. This man's voice so is chewy. So it good. is so deep and has such gravitas. But I was also like, I don't know, a little bit scared at how deeply I got sucked into this game. That's I don't good. know if I can do a good job of giving a like basic background. Everything is bombed out. It's kind of in France. Vague European city. It's a vague European city that um, is kind of monarchist. There was like a socialist rebellion that got put down. The player character is in like the deepest stages of alcoholism. And so the game opens on a morning where the night before you got so drunk that you do not remember who you are, which allows a blank slate for the player to decide what character they want to be. You're trying to figure out the murder of a person that may have crossed a trade union. If you're interested in this from the way that I've badly explained it, God bless you. Well, do you want to have like a social capitalist uh, critique in video game form? 
Yeah. Disco Elysium. This is going to be way deeper than The Outer Worlds, which is also, I think Kotaku called it a socialism simulator. It it kind of is, but I feel like Disco Elysium is a pure, like, living in a, yeah, living in a hellscape that is kind of exploring those systems as well. It took me a while to get into Disco Elysium too, Ben. Um, And you're playing on Switch. Like, when I first played it, it was like one of the PC releases where I don't think there was any voice acting or at least very little voice acting. The final cut really, like, leveled up all of the um, voice acting. And, like, Lenval Brown does basically all of the narration. This was hundreds of thousands of words. Like, literally a novel worth of narration that he had to do over the better part of a year. And... The thing that I actually wanted to talk about in terms of Disco Elysium is, yes, partly the game itself, but also the, like, banger of a documentary or a YouTube video, YouTube documentary something about the studio that made this game yeah. and how it, like, completely flamed out. It fell out. apart because it of was, labor issues, yeah. Well, I mean, labor issues. Apparently Bad management, the, too. Yeah, apparently the game was started by these two guys who were, like, deeply kind of, like, socialist academic novelists, and they kind of accidentally made a really good video game. They because they were a video game, yes. They accidentally a video game after initially writing a novel. So they got some funding from some... Estonian tech bigwigs because that's where this game started. They were developing this in like anarchist squats at the very beginning and then eventually went to the UK and like really staffed up and went Living pro. Life, yeah. I'm really looking forward to like someone being able to tell me what exactly happened with this studio and why we're probably never going to get a game this detailed from Z-A-U-M, Zaum, or however you want to pronounce it, again. Well, also, have you played Kentucky Route Zero, Ben? No, no. That and is I'm... the other, the other like, cool PC indie thing that ended up uh, on Switch. Is it more approachable? No, it's, again, it's, uh, <laughs> it is a weird thing. It is more you direct. You didn't say yes. It is a more direct, it's an experience, but you're not going to get, like, lost in it because it's a very streamlined experience but there's been a lot of good stuff that explores socialism and the ills of capitalism and everything so it's uh it's kind of cool kind of cool to see on the switch my thing is a full-on hey you just want to turn your brain off and have some fun type of thing because uh everything is kind of terrible right now i have been watching the brother's son on netflix this is the new show um starring michelle yo that's why i started watching it um, when I say Michelle, you say yo, Michelle. Michelle, yo. She's great. <laughs> uh, she, it, it really starts, it's a triad story. It's about Taipei triads, a gangster early on played by Justin Chin in a wonderful fight is attacked by ninjas or by masked assassins, basically. Okay, and in the process, his his father gets shot. And he has to go to L.A. to protect his mother, who left the ninjas Taipei a have long guns. Ninjas, ninjas sometimes do have guns. Let's be absolutely clear. Um, it's not ninjas. It is. It is just like you know, mass. Okay. These, yeah. These are. Yeah. These are assailants. Um, but he goes to L.A. to find his mom, who left Taipei a while ago, who used to be a part of the gang life, and also his younger brother, who has no clue at all what's up with the family business. Like the family is like some high level. Uh, Taiwanese triad basically and it is a sort of uh it's a story of like this really high this guy who's a wonderfully tough and kick-ass martial artist also wants to be a baker 
the show actually starts with him doing like following cooking videos and I think watching a great British bake off, of course. Um, but he wants to be a baker, but he's also unfortunately an assassin and is tasked to take care of his mother who may have more skills than she appears and his younger brother, who's just like, you know, kind of, kind of a useless soft boy, kind of a, you know, just American kid who wants to do improv and this is a comedy <laughs> show. It's like, it's a comedy slash action slash, you know, occasional family drama thing. But mainly it's just like fun, good TV. Uh, I'm a couple episodes in. I have not seen Michelle Yeoh kick ass yet. So I'm still kind of waiting for that moment. I hope it happens. But I will say um, Justin Chen uh, is very good. And I think the fight choreography is really fun. Uh, they're really silly situations. Like this show really leans into like the old uh, martial arts films that could often have many, many different tones. There's a point where they're fighting people, assassins who are trying to take them out. And they're in those like full bodied uh, dinosaur costumes, you know, the ones that people run around in. So it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm just taking out dinosaurs that are like invading a kid's birthday party or something. It's very silly, but I think the action is fun. And, um, you know, the drama itself is like very soapy, but uh, good enough. Good enough for me to watch when I want to turn my brain off. So that is The Brother's Son on Netflix. Um, certainly not the best thing I've seen lately. Uh, actually, I will talk more about this. Uh, I'll, I'll try to get Trillin to watch some of it. But I have seen all of the new True Detective as well. If this is like a cheap cheeseburger or something, that True Detective season is like a full course meal of excellent television. I'll be talking more about that soon, especially when Trillin can take a look. But I've also recommended this to her because I think the brother son is just a ton of fun. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Our theme music is by game composer Dale North. Our outro music is by our very own managing editor, Terrence O'Brien. The podcast is produced by me, Ben Elman. You can find Davindra online at... I'm at Devendra pretty much everywhere on Mastodon and Blue Sky. Uh, you can follow me on threads, but I, I'm going to just never post on threads. I feel like that's going to be my thing. Um, but also, if you want more like tech commentary, I was on Twit this past weekend, uh, chatting with Leo Laporte for the first episode of the year and great crew there. That was a great conversation. And you may have also, if you're in Canada, you may have seen me on the CBC's Good Morning Show. I did a CS preview over there. So we're all over the place, you know, and Gadget is Legion. Thank you all so much for listening to us. Send us an email at podcast at engadget.com. Leave us a review on iTunes because those actually factually help. Mm -hmm. And come back next week for more tech news chat. Find us on any podcast app and we'll see you next week. Thanks, folks. We're out.